good morning, church, again. Good morning. I want to welcome those of you, again, that are worshiping with us online. It's so good to have you this morning, and I'm so excited to celebrate mothers today, and I hope that you are too. And um, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about, you know, when I say moms, uh, I don't just talk about the, the person that gave birth to you, um, but there are ladies in our lives, there's women in our lives that have stepped into that role and have played moms for us and who have stepped up in our lives, who have walked with us through challenging times in our lives, and they have mom-like qualities, and we would consider them to be our moms. So when I say moms, I'm talking about all kinds of ladies, and, and, uh, and today we want to recognize our moms. We want to honor our moms, and, uh, and I was thinking about that too, and I was thinking about my mom, and my mom has just been a, such a blessing in my life. She has taught me so much. She has, um, man, she has put on a lot of Band-Aids on me. Um, I was just like an accident waiting to happen when I was a kid. I would run and do things. I wouldn't think about it. And uh, she's taken me to the emergency room numerous times for climbing trees and falling out of trees and falling into this and doing that and riding my bike and so many things. And so she, is, she has put so many bandages on me. She has, she has walked with me through dark times in my life. She has encouraged me. She has been my biggest cheerleader, my biggest fan, and I'm so grateful for her. But she's also put up with me uh, in a lot of other ways. So we have a joke in my house um, that, that I was stolen when I was a kid. That I'm the second child, so I have an older sister, and there are tons of pictures of my sister as a baby. There are like zero pictures of me as a baby. And I often joke with her. I'm like, Mom, you didn't, you didn't give birth to me. You stole me out of a grocery cart. That's why you don't have pictures of me as a baby. We, we make fun of it every holiday. We talk about it. And she is such a trooper. And, uh, but she did one day. She sent me my original birth certificate. Like She's like, here's proof. And I'm like, Mom, you can get those anywhere. Like, and, 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 and so we just have this running joke. But I know that she's my mom. And I know that she loves me and cares about me. And, and I know also that this day can be a hard day for some people. And it can be a day where maybe our moms are no longer with us. Maybe we didn't have a good relationship with our mom. Sometimes Mother's Day can be a hard day. But we want to honor and we want to celebrate our moms. And I want to celebrate two particular moms today. And, uh, and so I want to celebrate, first of all, uh, the mom who has been the mom the longest in the room. So the, the mom that has put on lots of band-aids, maybe not just kids, but grandkids and great-grandkids, but the mom that has been the mom the longest. So if you have been a mom, let's just start out, let's say, if you've been a mom for 30 years, raise your hand. If you've been a mom for at least 30 years. Okay, we got some 30 years. So let's jump up to 40 years. Any 40-year-old moms? All right, so that means you've been a mom for 40 years. Not your age, but you've been a mom for 40 years, okay? And so let's, uh, let's go with 45. Any 45 moms? All right, we got two, so let's go with uh, um, 50. 50 year moms? Ooh, we're gonna we're gonna run a race here. All right, 52. All right, Lola, you're the winner. So Lola is our winner. Lola, you come on down here. Come on down, Lola. Let's give Lola a big hand. Let's give her a big hand. 52 years. Is that how long? So wonderful. And uh, what's that? She's 62. So 62 years. That's awesome. So we have this little gift for you um, from Perlux. It's a, a day at the spa. So it's a little $50 gift card. Uh, just our way of saying thank you. You deserve. You deserve a day, right? Like she deserves a day. Let's give her a hand. All right, Lola. Now, we got another mom that we want to kind of honor and celebrate today. And this is the mom that has been the mom the least amount of time. 
And so this is the mom that is tired. This is the mom that is exhausted. This is the mom that's like, I'm just trying to figure this whole thing out. This is the mom that came in a, and maybe with a baby carrier in one hand, a child on the other hand, and uh, is just trying to make it through the day. So if you've been a mom for, uh, let's say, uh, a year, if you've been a mom for a year, raise your hand. All right. If you've been a mom for less than a year, any less than years? All right. So who, who I can't see back there. Who raised their hand? That's all right. You've been a mom for a year. Let's give the funky family, Brianna, a big hand. I'm going to come back to you because you're tired. Like you got five kids, four kids. You got like a ton of kids. You got the, the funky family. So, uh, uh, so we're going to give you also a day at the spa. Let's give Brianna another big hand. Happy Mother's Day. So, uh, so that's awesome. And so I want to say a blessing, just to pray a blessing over our moms. Can we do that? Can we just bow our heads together and pray for our moms? Father God, whew, Lord, we thank you for moms. God, we thank you for ladies that have stepped into our lives, that even played the role of mom in our lives. Uh, Lord, people that have loved us and cared for us, people that, uh, women that have taught us what it means to be uh, a human being, uh, ones that have hold, held us and hugged us and taken care of us in our darkest moments. God, those ladies in our lives who have um, modeled for us what forgiveness looks like, God, what loving others looks like, what caring for a family looks like. God, we just thank you. And Lord, we ask your blessings upon each and every one of these uh, ladies in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, so we just, let's give moms just one more big hand. Let's just give them a big hand. Now, today we're going to continue our sermon teaching series called Life on Purpose. And we're going to talk about our next uh, idea and this whole idea of discovering our purpose. And if you remember, we said uh, for weeks uh, in a row that we've said that you've been uniquely designed or shaped with a purpose. God has a purpose for every one of our lives. He has a purpose for you to live that. that um, he has a, a, a desire for you to live that life on purpose that he's given you. And, uh, and today we're going to continue that. And we're going to talk today about how you were shaped. Uh, how you were shaped to live a life on purpose. And, and to get us thinking, I remembered a story that I read in a book a long, long time ago. It's one of my uh, favorite stories. It's about um, this construction site. And so Andy uh, was building a new home, and his construction crew was having uh, a horrible time. Like, uh, and and they, they couldn't, uh, the subcontractors weren't working together. Uh, suppliers, there, there was a demand and, and not a lot of supplies, so they couldn't get supplies in on time. The scheduling of everybody was off, and it just like, this was going to be the house that was never going to get finished, because nothing was going right. And the boss was frustrated, and the men that were working on the house, they were grumpy, because they were either waiting on supplies or waiting on a sub. They were always waiting, and it was just a frustrating moment. And, the, and to top that off, it was in the heat of the summer. Summer, right? Like the weather was hot and humid. And to add to the misery, the Portageon reeked with odors that would make a grown man gag. I mean, it had been unattended for weeks. It had been ignored. The company that was supposed to be keeping its service hadn't been heard from for many weeks. And there was just this odor across the construction site that would just bring you to your knees. And suddenly, though, on one day, on one of those hot and humid days, uh, music began to fill the air, and this truck begins to barrel on down the street to the end where the construction site was happening and the house was being built. And as the music got louder and louder, everybody's attention that was on the job site shifted to the vehicle as it slid to a stop right in front of the construction site of this partially completed house. 
And they noticed that it wasn't the regular maintenance guy that took care of the portage on, but it was a new guy. And it was this big, burly guy that was covered with tattoos. And he flashed this huge smile, and he was singing at the top of his lungs. And, and, and everybody was just like, what is going on here? And he grabbed their attention. And so he greeted everyone as he got out of his truck. He got all of his materials, and he headed enthusiastically into the smelly portage on disaster. And as he goes in, and just before he walks into the portage on, he yells out that the former guy had quit and that he would be taking over his route. And so then he disappears into this four by six cubicle. And I, I, just picture it, if you will, there's this portage on and it's shaking and moving and all kinds of sounds and noises are coming out from inside it. And, and it gets louder and louder as though this guy was attacking every inch of the relief station. It almost sounded like he was wrestling a tiger inside that portage on. And the construction crew at this point, they had all stopped. Like, they're all eyes on what's going on at the Portage on. And, uh, and, and so they knew that the only thing worse, the only thing worse than the smell of a Portage on that hadn't been maintained well was the smell of cleaning that same Portage on on an extremely hot and humid day. But this guy, this big burly guy that jumped in there, he seemed to stay in the Portage on forever. And every man on the site wondered what, how he could stand it. And they're all saying and talking to themselves, they say, man, if that was me, I'd be like in and out of there as fast as I possibly could because of the stink. And after a while, the crew noticed a new odor was drifting across the construction site. And then Mr. Goodnature finally emerged with the smile still intact on his face. And he said, hey, he said, I want you guys to know that the guy that was taking care of this, well, he wasn't doing a very good job. But I promise you from here on out, I guarantee that this will be the best it can possibly be because I'm here to serve you. And with that, Mr. Happy jumps in his truck, grins and waves, turns on the music and throws the truck in reverse and begins to leave. But dumbfounded, one of the construction workers, he goes, no, I got to know. And so he says, hey, wait a minute. He says, stop for just a minute. He says, how can you do that? And more importantly, why did you do that? And oh, that's easy, Mr. Goodnature replied. You see, I work for the Lord and I do everything as if I were doing it for him. You see, and he said, I'll see you next week. And he takes off and driving down the street, leaving all of the construction crew awestruck with their mouths hitting the ground like they can't believe what just happened. And today we're going to read about an event in Jesus' life where he did something equally as crazy as what Mr. Goodnature did in the Portage John. See, however, though, there was a real purpose in it and what Jesus did because he wanted the disciples to learn something about him and he wanted them to know how God thinks. And so it had a ton to do with their purpose, it had everything to do with their purpose and it also has a ton to do with our purpose today. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up with me to John chapter 13. It's the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's one of the, the fourth book in the New Testament. And we're going to start in John chapter 13 and start with verse 1. And here's how John retells the story of the Last Supper. It says it was just before the Passover festival. And so a big festival is happening. It's a big Jewish holiday, big Jewish meal. Tons of people are in Jerusalem. And it says just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. 
Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And so Jesus knows that his time on earth is coming to an end. He knows that in the next couple hours that he will be arrested. He knows that he'll be beaten. And he knows that he is eventually going to go to the cross. And so John tells us that. And in verse 2, it says, The evening meal was in progress, so the disciples are gathered around having the meal. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew, verse 3, that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, verse 4, he got up, Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, this is interesting in a lot of different ways, but you got to understand the culture because in this culture, in the ancient days, when Jesus was around, washing someone's feet was not something anyone did. That washing someone's feet was the job of a servant. And not just any servant, but the lowest of all servants. And, and so, as a matter of fact, Jews saw washing the feet as such an undignified thing that they wouldn't even make their own Jewish servants do it, but they would get a Gentile servant to come and to wash their feet. It was just that lowly of a job. And so here, uh, I want you to imagine that you're living in a culture, and you're living in a culture where you walk everywhere, right? Like there were no cars, you had to walk everywhere you went, and, and you, there were animals walking the same streets that you walked, and animals do what they do wherever they do what they want to do. It's a doo-doo thing, you know? And so they're walking through doing everything, and, and you've got sandals on, or you didn't have shoes at all. And so your feet were constantly dirty. They're always dirty, they're always smelly, and they're always hardened and callous because, well, you walked in sandals or you walked barefoot. And so whenever you would come to a meal, you would sit down, and if they had a servant, the servant would come and wash your feet. And it was probably one of the most enjoyable parts of your day. Like you probably said, man, we're going to so-and-so's house. I hope that there's servants there to wash my feet because, man, my feet could use a good washing. And so they wash their feet. And so the disciples are all sitting around and they're having a meal together. Now, you didn't sit at a table like we sit at a table. They, they reclined at a table. So the table was much lower and you would sit on pillows and, or a couch-like thing and you would recline and your, your feet would kick out. And, and so Jesus, they're sitting down for this meal and it says that Jesus gets up. And he doesn't say anything, and he takes off his outer garments, and he wraps a towel around his waist, and he grabs a disciple's feet, and he begins to wash their feet. And one by one, he would go around the table, and he would grab a disciple's feet, and he would begin to wash them. And I can only imagine their reaction to this. I can only imagine that everyone gets silent, and everybody's thinking the same thing, Jesus what in the world are you doing? Like, you don't do that. Servants do that. There's no way you should be washing feet. Only the lowest of low would do such a thing. So for Jesus to do this, it was ludicrous. It was insane. It was unimaginable. And look at how the disciples responded, particularly Peter in verse 6. It says in verse 6, it says, Jesus, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing, Peter, but later you will understand. No, 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 said Peter. Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, Peter, unless 
I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet. Don't just wash my feet, but wash my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered him, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. And I find this passage so interesting because Jesus is saying really to the disciples, saying, listen, and it's particularly to Peter saying, listen, there's more to it than washing feet. He's trying to get the disciples to understand and to see who he is as God and what he wants from his followers, that Jesus is laying down the expectation of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Verse 12 goes on and it says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. And, he, and, and Jesus says, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I want you to look back, though, with me at verses 14 and 15, because I think these are huge for us. It says this. It says, Jesus says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should, have, that you should do as I have done for you. And like I said, this was much bigger than just washing feet. He's trying to get the disciples to understand something that they haven't quite grasped yet. This is the end of their time together. Like I said, Jesus knows that his time on earth is coming to an end. He knows that in just a few hours that Judas will betray him and that he will be arrested. He knows that he's going to be beaten for something he didn't do. He knows that he's going to ultimately be crucified. And he's trying to get the disciples to understand this one more important thing. That as their time comes to an end, uh, he wants them to understand what leadership looks like in the kingdom of God. And this is so big for us. This is a huge deal for those of us who have said yes to Jesus to understand what it looks like to be a leader in the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus is laying it out. If you want to be like me, then you need to be a servant. If you want to follow me, if you want to look like me, if you want to be like me, you must be a servant. That anyone who, that comes after me and says that they are one of my followers, then they also must call themselves a servant. You see, here's the reality that we need to understand, that we are not saved by our service. What do I mean by that? I mean that you can't earn salvation. There's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. There's not enough feet to wash to earn salvation, that it's a free gift by God, that it's believing and trusting in God and faith in Him alone. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation, but our service, we are saved for service, that we are saved to serve others, that when we are given God's gift uh, of relationship, when he freely gives us this gift, um, it, it, it's, it's a gift. It's free. But part of following Jesus means that as we fall in love with him, that we choose to serve him, that we become a servant. So leaders in his kingdom are servants first and foremost. And this is why we're commissioned 
to serve like Jesus. This is why Jesus tells his disciples, I have done this to model it for you. Now I expect you to go and serve others. And one of the reasons that we're here, one of the reasons our purpose is to serve like Jesus. Now we know that Jesus lovingly laid down his life for his friends. So we serve out of our love for him. Not out of guilt, not out of compulsion, not out of uh, a, a feeling of obligation. We don't serve out of obligation. We serve out of our love for Jesus. And you see, it's one thing to know that, but it's a completely other thing to actually live it out. Like, it's, it's easy to know it, but it's really hard to live it out. Look at verse 17 again. Here's what Jesus says. He says, now that you know these things, now that you know that what it takes to be a servant... He says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if, everybody say if, if, you will be blessed if you do them. Listen, Christianity has never been a spectator sport. I just want you to know that. Christianity has never been a spectator sport. We were never expected to sit in the stands and just cheer other Christians on. Christianity was never meant to be that way. From the very beginning, Jesus said, listen, y'all. He said, we all wash dishes around here. That's what Jesus says. We all serve one another. We all wash dishes. And so Jesus is inviting us, just like he invited the disciples, to live different. We are called, uh, we are never called to sit on the couch and watch other people serve. We are called to get up out of our seats and to do something. We're all called to wash dishes. And here's the radical thing. Jesus wasn't just talking about serving in the church. Like, it's much bigger than that. It's bigger than just becoming a door holder at Warehouse Church. He was inviting us to be like him. He was inviting us to radically change the world by serving and loving others. Not by our strength, not by our power, but by willingly laying down our lives for people. From the very beginning to the very end, Jesus modeled this life of serving. And so we might ask ourselves, but what do I have to offer? You might be thinking to yourself, what, what do I have to bring to the team? Like, what do I have that I could possibly do to serve like Jesus? And in a moment, we're going to see how Paul, the Apostle Paul, tells us that each of us has been equipped, that each of us has been equipped by God to make a difference in this world, that all of us have a shape and that we were all shaped to serve. You see, God has equipped us to serve him and there is no greater purpose in our lives than serving Jesus. So if you have your Bibles again, just keep turning uh, from John. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. So you're gonna pass by Acts and Romans and you'll get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to look at verses 4 through 6 together. And this book, Corinthians, it was written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, and it was written to the church in Corinth, which was a large port city. So it was much like Miami, if you were to picture Miami, Florida. That's how Corinth was. It was very diverse, uh, lots of things coming in and going out uh, of the city. And Paul goes in to Corinth and he shares the gospel. People get saved. He plants a church. He stays there for about a year and a half, making sure that it's healthy and ready to go. And then he goes on to the next one. And after he leaves, he starts to hear rumors about some major problems that are happening in the church after he left, that there's some division going on, that there's some moral issues uh, happen, that start creeping in, and that people were starting to act like their old self again before they met Jesus. 
And so he writes this letter, and here we pick up in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, and we're learning about how God, Paul is sharing with the church how God has uniquely designed us and equipped us differently, but that it's the same God that has called us. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, let's look at verse 4. It says, there are different kinds of gifts. So Paul's saying right away, hey, there are different kinds of gifts out there, but the same, the same spirit distributes them. So we all have different gifts, but God has given all of them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There's different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And so here's what Paul's saying is that there's different, God, different gifts that God has given each and every one of us. We call them spiritual gifts. And there's different ways by which we are to use our spiritual gifts. And it's God who ultimately shows his love for the world through us. In other words, when we're using our gifts, when we're living our lives on purpose, God is revealing himself to the world through us. That's why we're spending so much time on living a life on purpose and discovering what our purpose is. Because when we live our life on purpose, God is revealing himself to the world. Because everyone is uniquely designed by God in a powerful way and for a powerful purpose. God designed each of us uniquely and designed us for his purpose. And so we have a unique shape or we have a unique way in which God has built us. And you see, when people are released in their gifts, check this out. When people are released in their gifts, Jesus becomes unleashed in the world. Think about that for a minute. Just think about what that just said, that when people are released in their gifts, that Jesus becomes unleashed in the world. That's why it's so important that we identify the way that God has shaped us. And, and here's what I would say to us today. I must identify my unique shape. This is what I want to challenge you with today. What is your unique shape? How has God shaped you? Now, you'll notice the word shape is an acronym, and it was uh, uh, designed by Rick Warren. It's something easy for us to remember. And Rick Warren says this. He says, God never wastes anything. I want you to look to the person next to you and say, God doesn't waste anything. Just let him know. God doesn't waste anything. He goes on to say this. He said, God would not give you abilities, interests, talents, gifts, personality and life experiences unless he intended to use them for his glory. Listen, God's not going to be wasting your life. He has given you gifts and abilities and passions and experiences so that you might use them to radically change the world. So I want to unpack what this shape is. I want you to, to take some notes. I want to get real practical and I want you to figure out and help you to figure out what your shape might be. So the first, the S in shape, uh, is that God designed us uniquely and, and, and it, for our spiritual gifts, that our spiritual gifts play a part in our shape. First Corinthians, if you go down to chapter 12, verse 7 through 11, here's uh, Paul talking about the gifts. He says, now to each one of the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. In other words, God reveals himself through your life. And verse 8, to one, there is given this, uh, through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit 
and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now, in the NLT version, verse 7 says this, and I think it's so helpful. It says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. And you see, spiritual gifts are given to every one of us. Some of us have many, some of us have one, but we all have a gift, and they're given to us by God when we say yes to Jesus, and we are given them for this reason, to help each other and to build each other up, and so God would use those gifts to spread his good news all around the world. So your gifts, your spiritual gifts have a purpose. Now listen to me that none of us have all the gifts. So not anyone in this room has all the gifts. There's no one person that's spiritually like the Superman of spiritual gifts that has them all. God has intentionally distributed the gifts among us. And as followers of Jesus, we have the opportunity to develop and to learn how God has made us and to exercise those gifts for the sake of others. So it's important. It's so important that you understand what your spiritual gift or gifts are. And we can't unpack all of the gifts today, but I want to look at a couple of them. I want to give you some examples. In the New Testament, there are at least 20 different spiritual gifts listed in about five passages. And this passage is one of them, and Paul shares a few of the gifts with you. The first one that he talks about is the gift of wisdom. And, and wisdom is when a situation comes your way, and you're able to apply that truth in the best possible way. And so some of you have the gift where you see something that is happening to you and, and you know what the right thing to do is. Like you know immediately what is the right thing to do based on scripture. That is the gift of wisdom. You have the gift of wisdom and we need the gift of wisdom in the church. Some of us have the gift of knowledge, right? We have the gift of knowledge and knowledge is a hunger to learn God's word. Like some of you love to study God's word and you wanna share it so that others are benefited from learning what you've learned from God's word. You have the gift of knowledge. Some of us have faith. Some of us have the gift of faith. And the gift of faith is this. It's where you can be facing incredibly difficult circumstances and somehow you still trust that God is gonna work through it. Like you believe, you're, you're, your back is to the wall and you're like, man, I don't know how I'm gonna do this, but I know this to be true, that God is gonna be with me and work it out. And we need people of faith in the church. We need people of faith to come alongside of us when our faith starts to waver and to tell us to trust God and to, to remind us of God's faithfulness. That's the gift of faith. So there's lots of gifts. There's at least 20 mentioned in the Bible. And the question is this, how do I discover my gifts, right? Like how do I know what my spiritual gift is? Well, one way is to take a spiritual gifts inventory. And so if you pull out your phones, there's a QR code on the screen, and I would just encourage you to take that QR code and follow it to a spiritual gift inventory that we've set up for you on a kazone.com. And so this, this uh, gift inventory will help you narrow down what your gifts are. So that's one way that you can discover your spiritual gifts. Another way that you can discover your gifts that I encourage you to do is just by serving, Serve in some capacity. Find a way to serve. And, and as you do, see what God brings into your life. See what you get excited about when you're serving. You'll discover your spiritual gifts when you start serving. A third way that you can serve is that you can ask someone who knows you really well, who's a believer, say, hey, 
I'm really trying to figure out what my spiritual gifts are. What do you think my spiritual gifts are? I think this is such a big deal, especially after you take the spiritual gift inventory. Talk to a few people and say, hey, I'm really trying to discern what my spiritual gifts are. What do you think they are? Like, what do you think is my spiritual gift? Because here's the problem. Most of the time, we can't get out of our own way. We think we know what our spiritual gift is, or we have an idea of what we want our spiritual gift to be. But so many times, people will speak life into us and say, you know what? I know what your spiritual gift is. Like if Brian Akers was to come up to me and say, hey, Rick, what do you think my spiritual gift is? I would, without, without even pausing, I would say, oh, Brian Akers, your spiritual gift is hospitality. Like you have the gift of hospitality. You have the gift of making people feel welcome. Uh, we were in his small group. We walked into his home. We felt welcomed. He had a meal for us. He has the gift of hospitality. He and Diane both. And so I would say without a shadow of doubt, that is your gift. So let me encourage you to ask people, what's my spirit? What do you think my spiritual gift is? And then the final way that you can discover your spiritual gift, and I think the best way, is to open up the Bible. Like, go to the five passages that unpack the spiritual gifts. You can Google it. Where are the verses in the Bible that talk about spiritual gifts? And you can find those gifts and then begin to ask God, God, what is my gift? How have you gifted me? Which one of these have you wired me with? But I really feel it's important that we discover what our spiritual gifts are. So that's the first, the S. The second uh, way that we can be uniquely shaped by God is the H, which is our heart. Everybody say heart. You see, our heart is the motivation and the passion in our lives. The heart is the thing that gets you excited. It's the things that you do that get you really excited. It's the things that, that keep you up at night. It's the things that when you see something wrong in the world, you're like, man, I got to do something about that. It's the urge to fix something. What are you passionate about? In Proverbs, it talks about this. In Proverbs 27, it says, as a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. You see, what comes out of you is a huge part of who you are. What you get excited about, what you get passionate about is your heart. It's those core values, those things that you're willing to die for. And so I wonder, what is God putting on your heart for other people? Like what gets you excited about other people? What, what is it that God wants you to do? How has he uniquely made you to care about the things in this world? For me, one of the things that I genuinely deeply care about in the world is clean water. I get excited about clean water. Now you might be thinking, what in the world is that all to do with? But see, there's, I was introduced to this mission organization called Living Water International that provides clean drinking water to places all across the world. Did you know that the number one thing that's killing people in the world is dirty water? And that if we could solve the dirty water problem, that we could cure so many different diseases that are going on in the world today. And so it's a matter of, of, of digging a well in a place that doesn't have clean water, helping people to understand that you can't wash your hands and take a bath and drink the same water, and helping them understand that you should wash your hands this way and do things, and providing clean drinking water. I get excited about that. I get excited about raising money. I give living water uh, gift cards to my family every year, and they can go and they can spend money uh, to, to put wells in different places across the world that don't have clean drinking water. So let me just ask you, what's God putting on your heart? What is he, how has he shaped you to get your heart going and get you excited? Some of you, uh, you have this passion in your heart to care for people who are physically, uh, who, are in, who have physical needs, who are suffering. Uh, and, and like when you see people who have no food to eat, it breaks your heart and you just want to provide food for them. My wife has a heart for people who are struggling, for children who are struggling and are hungry. And she'll provide for them in ways and wants to provide food for them because it breaks her heart. That's, that's her passion. That's her heart beat. Her heart beats for those children. 
And so I just want to ask you, how does your heart beat? What makes your heart beat for people? What keeps you up at night? That's your heart. So God has shaped us with spiritual gifts. He's shaped us with a heart. And the third part uh, that we're uniquely shaped is our abilities. These are our abilities that are our natural giftings that God has given us. These are the things that come naturally to us. Colossians chapter 3 says this. It says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so we're talking about these abilities that you have that come naturally to you, things that you just, that come with ease. Uh, you don't even have to try it. It just happens. Like some of you in here are natural leaders. No one's ever taught you how to lead. You just start going somewhere and people follow you because you have this natural ability to lead. James has a natural ability to play any musical instrument you can put in front of him. He proved that today. Usually he's on the keyboard. Today he was on the drums. And he wasn't just a half drum and he was drumming like he was getting it done because he has this ability to do to play any musical instrument. It's a natural ability. Uh, some of you have, uh, are incredibly artistically gifted. You just have this natural ability to create amazing things. Some of you are naturally gifted uh, bakers or, or, or cooks, and you can cook a meal like nobody's business. Uh, some of us are naturally gifted uh, with sports. We have these abilities to play sports like nobody else. And so when we take our natural abilities, here's what I want to encourage you. When we take our natural abilities and we say, God, I want you to use my natural abilities for your glory. How does that look? What does that look like in your life? Uh, maybe you just say, you know what, God, I've been using this natural ability for me and for my own selfish desires, but I, I, and I thought they were for me, but actually they're for you, and I want to use my natural abilities for something much, much bigger than myself. See, I used to play the guitar, so I was, uh, I was a youth pastor, and, uh, and nobody in, in, in the youth group, they, nobody knew how to play the guitar, so I was like, well, I got to learn how to play the guitar, because you can't have a youth group without a guitar, and so I went and bought a guitar, and I taught myself how to play three chords, C, D, and G, because those were back in the 80s, uh, you could play any song with C, D, and G, and so I was playing, I uh, learned, and I was pretty good at it, like it came naturally to me, I picked up the guitar pretty quick, I mean, I stunk at first. But then I got really good at playing the guitar. I mean, I even looked like a guitarist. I had those calluses on my fingers, and uh, I always carried a pick in my pocket, and my guitar went everywhere with me, right? Like I had the guitar case with all kinds of stickers on it because that's what a real guitarist looked like. And I took that thing on vacation with me. I took it to the store. I took my guitar everywhere, and I played it all the time. And, and, um, and so eventually, though, I stopped playing the guitar. And now my guitar hangs on my wall, and it just collects dust. Like it's got probably an inch thick of dust on it right now because it's not being used. And some of us in here have amazing natural abilities that are covered in dust because you're not using your abilities. We have these natural abilities that God has given us and we're just letting them lie there, dormant, not being used. And maybe today, maybe the whole reason you're here today is God wants to challenge you. And he wants to challenge you with what you're doing, what you're going to do with those natural abilities that God has given you. Some of you have some amazing abilities that you haven't used in years. And God's like, man, I want to use those abilities for my glory. So do something with them and watch him work through them in your life. So we all have these abilities. The, third, the next thing, the fourth thing that we have are these, is our personality. Our personality. And, 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 and we are all uniquely shaped with different personalities. And I love that. Paul, uh, David, I mean, in Psalm chapter 139, he says this. He says, for you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And David understood that God gives us all different personalities. God loves diversity. Can I just say that? God loves diversity. He doesn't want us all to look alike. He doesn't want us all to do the same thing. He doesn't want us all to talk the same way. Like when we first moved here, people would always say to me and my wife, y'all aren't from around here, are you? Nope, we're not. And how did you know? You don't talk like us. Like we don't all talk the same way. And, and God loves diversity. And he didn't make us all the same. And our personalities are unique. Every one of us has a different personality. There's room for every kind of personality to serve God. And some of us in here, we're really outgoing. Some of you are extroverts, you're outgoing, you love being around people, you love meeting new people, you love being in a crowd of people. And then some of us in here, we cringe at the very idea of meeting new people. Like we're like in a crowd and we want to get in the corner and we want to be by ourselves. And, and sometimes it's easy for us to wish that we were like somebody else. Sometimes we're introverted, we wish we were extroverted. Sometimes we're extroverted and we wish we were more shy. Uh, or maybe sometimes we wish that someone else was like us. Like I see this in my marriage all the time. See, my, my wife, Jen, she is super outgoing. Like there is, she has never met a stranger. And, and um, we love theme parks. And we love to go to theme parks. And when we go to theme parks, we're waiting in line. And before we go from the end of the line to the front of the line, she knows everybody in line by their name, where they're from, and what they do. And she's introducing me then to him. She's like, hey, Rick, you got to meet so-and-so. You got to meet so-and-so. Hey, they're from Nebraska. Hey, they're from Florida. Hey, they're from Kentucky. Hey, they're from... And she's telling me all about these people like she's known them for years. She's super outgoing. And there are times where I'm like, I'm more introverted, right? Like I'm the introvert in our relationship. And I'm happy just to sit in line and enjoy the scenery. Like I'm happy to watch what's going on. I'm happy to watch the people that are walking by. I'm happy to talk to her, talk to my kids. And, and that's about it. Like that's, I'm happy with that. And sometimes I wish that she was more like me, right? Like sometimes I wish she would just, just let's just stay in our own little circle here. But that's not who she is. And if she was like that, I wouldn't get to meet half the interesting people that I meet because she introduces me to them, to all of them. And I love that about her. And so you see, God has uniquely shaped us so that we can benefit and so that we can better each other. And how do we learn about our personality? Well, just like there's spiritual gift inventories, there's personality inventories. They're all out there. You could find one easily. Just Google it and you'll find numerous ones and, uh, that will be helpful to you. But God has given each of us a personality, a unique personality. And isn't it amazing that like in marriages, oftentimes there's an introvert and an extrovert. There's oftentimes they're partnered together because they help each other out. And so the last way that we're shaped, uh, we've got our spiritual gifts, we've got our heart, we've got our abilities, we've got our personalities, and the last thing is our experiences. Job said this, he says in chapter 12, he says, is not wisdom found among the aged? Like, does not long life bring understanding? Now, what Job doesn't mean is that just because you're old, you're the smartest person in the room. That's not what Job's saying. He's saying that people can still be immature no matter what your age are, but what he's saying is that through life's experiences, we gain wisdom and perspective that we didn't have when we were younger, that I have perspectives in my life now at 42 that I did not have when I was 18. I've learned things from my experiences, and so we realize that everything we've gone through in our life has shaped us and formed us to be who we are. And sometimes we're shaped by things that are out of our control. Like you didn't pick your parents. 
You didn't get to say, oh, God, I want that parent. No, you didn't get to pick your parents. You didn't choose some of your health issues that you have. Uh, You didn't choose to be dealing with depression or anxiety. Those were things that you didn't choose. And some of us have been shaped by decisions that we've made, right? Like some of us have been shaped by uh, relationships that we've been part of, good or bad. Some of us have been shaped by mistakes that we've made. Some of us have been shaped by financial decisions that we've made. And all that comes together to make who we are. Our experiences shape who we are today. And so God takes all those things, good and bad, things that have encouraged us, things that have disappointed us, all of those things that have marked us, he puts them together as only God and his incredibly gentle and compassionate hands can do. And he brings something wonderful out of them. So your experiences aren't wasted. And I want you to hear that. God doesn't waste anything, including your experiences. He uses them to shape you. So ask yourself the question, what has God gotten you through that maybe he wants to use for his glory? Think about that. What experiences have you experienced in your life that God wants to use for for his glory? Some of you may have gone through a painful divorce and and it was incredibly hard and, and incredibly painful and you've been healed and God wants to use that experience to help others who are now experiencing a painful divorce. Or maybe some of you have struggled with addiction for a long time and you were at a point in your life where you thought you would never be free from it. And over time, God brought freedom in your life. And now God wants you to take that and wants you to use that experience for his glory. You see, God has uniquely designed each and every one of us. And you may look in the mirror and you may say, but Pastor Rick, I'm a nobody. Like I'm not important. I'm just an accident. I'm a mistake. But let me just tell you some truth right now. Let me lay down some truth that you need to hear. When God looks at you, he doesn't see junk. When God looks at you, he sees an incredible person that he loves and that he is proud of and that he has uniquely designed and shaped for something bigger than you could ever imagine. So when you look in the mirror, don't ever look and say, I'm a nobody, I'm unimportant. God can never use me because that's never the way that God sees you. He sees you as I created you with a purpose. I've given you spiritual gifts. I've given you a heart. I've given you abilities. I've given you a personality and I've given you experiences and I wrote all that in a bowl and I create this amazing purpose for your life. But listen, it's up to you. Like you can walk around the rest of your life and never discover what your spiritual gift is. It's up to you to decide what is my heartbeat? What makes my heartbeat? What keeps me up at night? It's up to you to decide if you're gonna use your natural abilities for God's glory. It's up to you to decide how your personality plays a part in that. It's up to you to say, am I gonna allow my experiences to define me or am I gonna allow my experiences to shape me into the person that God has designed me to be? So the question is this, the question that begs asking today is what is keeping you? What is keeping you from bringing yourself to the master designer and saying, God, take all of me. Take my gifts, take my heart, take my abilities, take my personality, take my experiences, take all of me and use me to go wash feet. Use me to go wash feet. You see, I love what Mr. Goodnature Guide said when they said, why do you do what you do? He said, I do it because everything I do, I do for Jesus. And I do it as if I was doing it for 
Jesus. Are you going to live your purpose? Or are you just going to wander through life hoping to make it? Because here's the truth. The truth is simple. God has created you and put you on this planet for a purpose. For a purpose. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for being the master creator and designer of each and every one of us in this room. Father, you have granted each of us gifts. Father, some of us have the gift of wisdom. Some of us have the gift of hospitality. Some of us have the gift of leadership. Some of us have the gift of prophecy. Some of us have the gift of of healing. You have given each of us gifts. God, you have given us passions that make our heart beat. Passion for people, passion for projects, passion for injustice. You have given each of us a heart for certain things that keep us up at night. Father, you've given us natural abilities that uh, gifted us in ways that, that other people can't do. Some of us have the ability to play music. Some of us have the ability to cook. Some of us have the ability to organize. But you've given us these natural abilities. Father, you've given us a personality that matches all of those. And you've given us experiences in our life that continue to shape us so that we might be used by you for you to help others. And Father, my prayer My prayer is this, that every person in this room today would leave here at least with a desire on their heart to discover how they're shaped to live their life on purpose. Lord, that they would leave here wanting to know what their gifts are. They'd leave here wanting to uh, figure out what their heart is. They'd leave here wanting to know how their personality plays a part in that. They'd leave here taking a look at their experiences how those play a role into how they're shaped. Lord, would we leave here willing to put on the servant's towel and willing to serve you in any way that you have called us to do so? Because God, you have given each of us a purpose for our lives. And it's not for us to be made famous, but it's for you to be made famous and to be made known all around the world. So, Father, may we discover our purpose today. We love you, Lord. And if there's someone in this room, Lord, that has never given their life to you, then maybe they're like, man, I want that purpose. I want that. I want to figure out what my shape is. It all begins with a relationship with you. It all begins by putting our trust in you. It all begins by saying yes to you. Father, your word says that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that you are Lord, that we will be saved. So if you're in this room today and you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, may today be the day that you say, Lord, come into my life, forgive me of my sins, begin to transform my life so that I might begin living my life on purpose for you. Come and be my Savior today. If that's you, just pray that. You can even say, God, I don't understand it all. But I know this, that I want to be yours. And I want you to be mine. Come and be my Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. But thank you for shaping us in such a way that we might serve you every day of our lives.
But hey, we're going to celebrate with a song as we leave today. I invite you to stand up with me and let's sing together. And as you are, uh, let me invite you to just begin the process of discovering your shape. Maybe you want to come and spend some time before the Lord. Maybe you want to offer some of your gifts to the Lord. Maybe you want to just come and confess and spend time in confession. We want you to know the altars are open and available for you to come and spend time in prayer. If you want someone to pray with you, I'm on the front row. I'd be happy to pray with you. Grab someone around you and say, hey, I would love for you to come and pray with me and come down and pray. Uh, So these altars are open for you. Uh, Let's worship the Lord together.